الجزيرة بودكاست. Hi everyone, Malika here. Today I'm handing over the mic to our guest host, Natasha Del Toro. Enjoy. It was scary. The moment I got the taxi to come to the border, like maybe the border police will get you and deport you back. That's Nakib Sarwari. He had fled the Taliban in Afghanistan where he's from. And on Christmas Eve 2017, he found himself in a northern forest seeking asylum across a border. It was dark and uh, certainly very dark at that time of the year. I mean, I didn't have a lot of clothes. And to be honest with you, I couldn't afford a lot of clothes. I knew it was going to be cold, but I had no choice. Nikib was entering Canada at a place called Roxham Road. And that's pretty much all it is, a country road in the woods. It's become a popular unofficial crossing point along Canada's 6,400-kilometer border with the U.S. Last year, almost 40,000 people entered Canada that way. It's never been a very hard border to cross, legally or illegally. But now, Roxham Road is no longer an option. Sources say irregular crossings like this will now be shut down. Law enforcement on both sides of the border will be able to turn back migrants if they cross illegally. The U.S. and Canada recently changed their border policy. But for people who decide to go anyway, their options seem to be getting more and more dangerous. So what will a harder border mean for Canada and for the people trying to get there? And why is this happening now? I'm Natasha Del Toro, in for Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Last week, we looked at changes on the U.S.'s southern border that may make it harder for asylum seekers to enter from Mexico, But for those who want to migrate further north to Canada, there's another story there, away from the headlines. And it all revolves around the U.S. and Canada's Safe Third Country Agreement, which says asylum claims could be denied if a person crossed through another country before Canada, such as the United States. Canada and the U.S. are part of what's called the Safe Third Country Agreement, which means that if you are coming to Canada to seek asylum from the U.S., you'll be turned back if you come to an official border entry point. Until this year, the deal only applied to official border crossings. But now it applies to the entire U.S.-Canada border, including Roxham Road. New signage here at Roxham Road that was unveiled at the stroke of midnight by Canadian Border Patrol. We understand that this is now closed and people will not be permitted to go through this anymore. So I'm talking to someone who made that journey at Roxham Road, Nakib Sarwari, who was granted asylum in Canada in 2018, and who you heard from at the top of the show. So Nakib, just so our listeners know a little bit about you, you're from Afghanistan, where I understand you used to work in the education space with young boys and girls, but you left in 2017 because of the Taliban. Um, You were in Kyrgyzstan for a while, and then you came here to the United States, what some might consider to be a, quote, safe country. So what then led you to seek asylum in Canada? Yeah, I did come to Canada for multiple reasons. Uh, At the time when I was in the United States, that was back in 2017. During the Donald Trump era, there was the very infamous Muslim ban and a lot of information like that being circulated 
on a regular basis that you're not welcome here. It was just that feeling of like, this will never be home for you. That's what led me to make the decision to come to Canada, among other things. The other part was also that Canada was uh, has been portrayed as a very welcoming place for refugees, uh, at least. And that's the feeling you get if you live abroad is like, Canada is much more welcoming than the United States. There are more opportunities for family reunification and things like that, which has not been the case for me. I haven't been able to be reunited with my family here in Canada, but at least that's how the feeling is once you're abroad, is that if I go to Canada compared to the U.S., there is more likelihood that I will be reunited with my family. So you're basically saying, if I'm correct, that it was the presidency of Donald Trump that made you feel that you'd be safer in Canada? Certainly, that was the case. I think more than safety, it's also the notion of being welcomed and how soon you will be welcomed. And so you made the crossing at Roxham Road, which has become a famous crossing point. Um, Almost 40,000 people used to enter Canada last year through that same crossing point. Can you tell us a little bit about what your journey was like? When I was in the United States and I was doing a lot of research online, trying to find information on what is the best route to go about it, I came across this uh, community-led initiative at the border, which was helping refugees not necessarily cross the border, but helping them get like snacks on the road, you know, get some water, things like that. Uh, So I reached out to one of them and said, like, I'm a refugee. I'm, I'm interested to go to Canada can you please confirm if the road is still open and if people are still crossing? Uh, And they said, yeah, we have seen people crossing yesterday. We saw people crossing this morning. Yeah, that it's open. Of course, they said we are not going to give you legal advice on what to do. But as a community organization, we do give the news. And so Nakib headed for the border. I took a bus all the way to a city called Plattsburgh, which is very close to Roxham Road. And the moment you get off the bus, there are taxi drivers who are asking you, hey, do you want to take a taxi to Rockland Road? Sometimes they overcharge you just knowing the situation. They're knowing you're desperate and you really don't want to ask too many questions. You just want to get on a, on a taxi and, and just get to the border. They were trying to put in like as many families that would fit in in, a, in the car. So I took the front seat and I had a family from Nigeria, two parents and two kids at the back seat. I remember the mother of the family being very fearful. The kids on the way, they were crying. Maybe sadness of leaving home, but it's also the feeling of like, you don't know what's going to happen the moment you step across the border. You don't know if you're going to get a home. You don't know if you get any winter clothes. If you don't know if you're going to just stay on the street, you know, with the cold winter. Wow. And when you think about that actual moment when you crossed, what, what was that like? There's a sense of fear, anxiety, and uncertainty. But at the same time, there's a feeling of of hope, of a future. And also, I think the moment I crossed is like, I felt like, you know, you're on your own going forward. Because that's a feeling I got. Like before that, I was like relying a lot on like family and friends. But the moment I crossed, I didn't know a single person in Canada. I was like, man, you're on your own. Yeah. Uh, But the border forces were waiting at the other side of the border. They were like... uh, yeah, this is not a regular port of entry. You're not supposed to cross here. You will be detained. But I have made my decision I'm going to cross anyways because I have no other choice. 
So you were told that you were supposed to go to, through this official legal point of entry, but you didn't. Um, basically, because the way the safe third country agreement worked at the time, you knew that if you went to an official border point that you were going to be sent back. There is a loophole to that agreement. If you're in between official points, you can walk over and seek asylum here. But if you just went through Roxham Road and didn't report yourself to the authorities, there was a chance that you could claim asylum in Canada. So it was a calculated risk that you took. Absolutely, yeah. The moment you step into the Canadian soil, once you're in, just that one step into the Canadian soil, they are legally required to process your asylum claim because you are in the country, you're not out of the border. But that's changed now, right? The safe third country agreement has um, extended beyond just official border crossings to unofficial ones like Roxham Road as well. How do you feel about the fact that this policy change will mean that people who are trying to come to Canada aren't going to be able to come in the way that you did? I could summarize everything into dehumanization. I think it's just putting people into statistics and not factoring in every other social ties they may have to Canada for people who might not have a safe life in the United States for various reasons. There are a lot of people who are facing uh, uh, immigration detention and everything in the U.S. for what they will not be facing if they come to Canada. What happens with the Safe Third Country Agreement is we don't care, they say. Yeah, we don't care if if you have a social life. We don't care if you can integrate into the community. We don't care about all those things. It's like it's just taking that humanity out of it, but just putting you into a number of statistics and like, hey, 40,000, 30,000 refugees, 10,000 refugees. And instead of saying 10,000 people with 10,000 different stories. So why did things change? That's after the break. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera News Updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. The number of people entering through irregular border crossings has become headline news for Canadians. Tens of thousands of migrants have used the Roxham Road crossing in recent years, increasingly straining welfare resources in several communities in Quebec and Ontario that have taken them in while their claims are being processed. Quebec's Premier Francois Legault says his province can't handle any more people entering that way. But Alex Neve thinks concerns about migration to Canada have been overblown. The debate in Canada talks about numbers as if it's uh, absolutely out of control. He's an immigration attorney and the former head of Amnesty International in Canada. It will pale in comparison to what the U.S. faces. It, it pales in comparison to the realities faced by countries all over the world. Remember, we're not talking about 40,000 crossing in one day, uh, which, of course, you know, in some parts of the world, when there's a true refugee crisis, that's the reality. Uh, we're talking about 40,000 over the span of an entire year in a country as large 
and prosperous uh, as Canada, a country that very much is looking to increase the levels of immigration uh, in the country. Uh, and suddenly there was this hyperbolic narrative suggesting that the border was out of control and this was a true crisis. So how much of a hot button issue has this been in Canada? I mean, to what extent has it even has it become political? Oh, it's entirely political. This is absolutely political. There are absolutely human rights based border management, refugee protection solutions, which didn't involve having to shut down the entire border to refugees. This was absolutely political. It began uh, certainly by the middle of 2018. The opposition party here in Canada, the Conservative Party of Canada, started a narrative of the border being out of control. This is Eric Duhem, leader of the Conservative Party of Quebec. This is completely out of control. Uh, and we're, and we're, we're getting numbers that we've never seen before. Roxham Road is now known worldwide as being the hole to get in by illegal immigration in Canada. And this needs to stop which was, uh, to say the least, very unfortunate because there's nothing at all illegal about this. Um, in international law, in Canadian law, it is not illegal to cross a border, even to cross a border without proper documentation, even to cross a border without immediately presenting yourself to a border official, if you're doing so for the purposes of making a refugee claim. You know, Canada, generally, a country with uh, a fairly welcoming public attitude towards refugees. Suddenly there was this new narrative around illegal migrants, illegal border crossings. And I think the government felt very, very susceptible. Uh, they were worried they were going to lose votes uh, to the Conservatives on this. And so immediately started to shift. Instead, what we started to hear was that Canada had initiated negotiations with the U.S. government, that they were looking for ways to update or modernize the Safe Third Country Agreement, which really we all knew was code for that they were looking for ways to extend the Safe Third Country Agreement to the entirety of the border, not just to those official border posts. And that, of course, is what has now happened Um, we know that after the safe uh, third country agreement was extended to the entire U.S.-Canada border, eight people, including two young children, died going across the St. Lawrence River. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau described the incident as heartbreaking and said there are many questions that need answers. Has it changed the conversation at all? The boat tragedy was two families who were traveling from Canada to the United States the southward uh, journey, which happens. It's not as common as those traveling from the United States up to Canada. But I think the, the point remains the same, that because the agreement, which does operate in both directions, has closed down that border to safer refugee crossings, it's very notable that it happened only shortly after uh, the Safe Third Country Agreement had been extended and the border had been shut down. So it really has put in the spotlight that what this agreement has done now is essentially say to refugees and migrants, 
traveling in either direction, the United States to Canada or Canada to the United States, that your only option is to look for dangerous, difficult, perilous, life-threatening routes to cross that border because everything else is being shut down. Now, the safe third country agreement's constitutionality is being looked at by Canada's Supreme Court, and refugee advocates have argued that the agreement violates Canada's Charter of Rights and Freedoms, as well as international agreements like the 1951 Refugee Convention. So the question then becomes, is this agreement legal? Well, that's the, uh, from a government perspective, irresponsible aspect of this. The Canadian government took this step of, of dramatically extending the safe third country agreement while we are awaiting a ruling from the Supreme Court of Canada uh, as to whether or not the agreement is or is not in conformity with our constitution. So just to be clear, the safe third country agreement's constitutionality was already under review before it was extended to the entire border? That's right. This happened while we're waiting for the Supreme Court to rule. Surely the proper course of action would have been to await that ruling from the Supreme Court of Canada. And therefore, whatever the government chose to do uh, in terms of negotiations and an extension with the United States could have been in keeping with the Supreme Court's judgment. As you say, you know, Canada is a place that presents itself as this globally welcoming, multicultural nation. You know, Justin Trudeau has made legal immigration as part of his domestic policy. This is a wonderful night where we get to show not just uh, a plane load of new Canadians what Canada's all about, but we get to show the world uh, how uh, to open our hearts uh, and welcome in people who are uh, fleeing uh, extraordinarily difficult situations. So how does this deal play into all of that and how does it affect Canada's reputation around the world? This is, I think, a very clear indication that when we're tested, even at the lowest level, <laughs> uh, when we face even a minimal amount of border pressure, we cave and all of our commitment to refugees suddenly disappears overnight. And you know, let's not forget the fact that Canada's geography is such that we're far from the front lines of any of the situations in the world which, which do give rise to significant refugee influxes. Far from the front lines. Uh, so it's been very easy for Canada over the years to wrap ourselves in this in this flag of, of refugee protection uh, because we really have never been tested. We've made it very clear we no longer deserve that global praise. As someone who has spent his life really dedicated towards um, making, you know, refugees and migrants, their experience safer, giving them a safe haven. How do you personally feel then that your country is involved in this kind of deal? I think this is disgraceful. What we should have done was completely scrapped the Safe Third Country Agreement. We should have gone back to the days when it was possible for refugees in safety and dignity to simply present themselves at a land border post anywhere along the Canada-US frontier, make their refugee claim, 
they would have had access to a fair hearing and protection if they required it. It was working fine in those days. I was working as a refugee lawyer in those days. Many of my clients from countries like Somalia and Ethiopia and Guatemala and Colombia, that was how they reached Canada. The fact that we've decided to scrap that causes me incredible distress as a Canadian, as a human rights lawyer, as a refugee advocate. I remain hopeful uh, that the Supreme Court may be our salvation here and that the Supreme Court's ruling will make it clear that the Safe Third Country Agreement violates the Charter and does indeed need to be overturned. But that remains to be seen. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Ashish Malhotra and Sonia Bagat, with Amy Walters, Chloe K. Lee, Miranda Lynn, Khaled Sultan, Nagin Oliai, and me, Natasha Del Toro, in for Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. This episode was mixed by Tim St. Clair. Alexander Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Nate Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow. 